What's the Crack Podcast, proudly sponsored by JMR Property Maintenance. From rewires to extension builds, JMR have it covered. Contact them today for a free, no obligations quote. Good evening and welcome back to What's the Crack podcast in association with JMR Property Maintenance and the Rialto Plaza. I'm here again with my co-host Neil. Neil, how are you, mate? Very good, Dave. Very good, considering what's happened today, mate. Great news being back to the Rico. Um, looks like a good deal as well. And today we are joined by former AGF, Horsens, Bournemouth, Bradford, Coventry, Blackpool, Port Vale, Fleetwood and Faroe midfielder, Klaus Jorgensen. Klaus made 52 appearances, scoring six goals for the Sky Blues. He played in the last ever game at Highfield Road, and he was the first man to score at the Rico Arena. Klaus, how are you, mate? Good afternoon. Yeah, thank you. I'm uh, I'm very well. Um, I'm looking forward to this, and uh, it's uh, yeah, hopefully going to be a little bit uh, more enjoyable than the than the boring Corona times we've had. That's yeah, it, definitely, mate. definitely. Um, I, 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 how have you been coping, mate? Is it has it been a, a little bit chaotic? Um, well, I'm uh, I'm I'm over in, in Denmark at the minute, and uh, and I have been for the last sort of eighteen months. And uh, the restrictions haven't been as bad over here as they are in the UK. But uh, yeah, it's just like finding a new way of uh, of, uh, of, mm. of 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 life. And um, yeah, it's it's pretty boring. And but it's it's looking a little bit better now. Obviously, we and with things starting to clear up. Yeah, fingers crossed we'll be back in football stadium soon. That, that, that's what we want anyway. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, uh, and uh, what's the latest? Is it the, the last game of the season? People can start coming in? Uh, or has it been pushed back? I, I think, think they're looking at the European Championships at Wembley. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, going from, from Championship, I think um, the games would have finished by the time the restrictions are lifted, but I think the Premier League might get a game or two in um, if things go to plan. So fingers crossed, we can, you know we can get back in the pub, we can get back watching football, um, yeah. and get back to some sort of normality. Yeah, that that would be great. Uh, I mean, um, yeah, I mean that's, a, that's a, uh, enough said about what we're doing and what we want to, what we would like to do, and what we're yeah. doing. so we just want to go on with it, really, don't we? Exactly that, mate. Exactly that. Talking of football, Klaus, growing up in Denmark, how did you get into football, mate? Well, um, my, uh, my my family's well, it's a football interested family, sports interested. So, uh, uh, yeah, I was just uh, playing football with my older brother and uh, and uh, uncles and and the sort of wider family. So that's the way I got into it and. And um, just start at the local club as a five-year-old, I think, and uh, grassroots team. Then uh, moved. It's, it's not in an academy system like like in the UK as we know it now, but grassroots move on to the the bigger club in the in the next village along, and then the bigger club uh, and sort of the third club I played at was was more of a um, elite uh, level. Not maybe yeah. not set up a elite level, and uh, and I uh, got my uh, my debut in the uh, in the first team when I was when I was eighteen in the second tier of English foot uh, sorry Danish football, so that's 
that's sort of it's not not in the school clubs like you know in England the schools football that's not the same uh, way it happens in Denmark but uh, grassroots football and then uh, getting into the senior teams later on but that's a sort of brief uh, story about how how I got introduced to football when you were growing up who did you support were you Copenhagen Oh no, no chance! <laughs> no, we're, I'm from the I'm from the sticks. Uh, I'm from the countryside in Denmark, uh, opposite direction to Copenhagen. So, uh, no, um, can't really say that uh, that was the team I identified with. We still support them actually when they uh, when they got into Europe, Copenhagen and and Bronby, which is are uh, are were the sort of two sort of biggest teams in the in the in the in the nineties. Yeah, um, but. Uh, it's hard to say really because there's not a strong affiliation to individual teams in Denmark as there are in England uh, as there is in England um, we'd probably say AGF would be one of the, uh, the, the sort of the big clubs that I would support back then but they were they weren't really successful so um, um, but yeah no it would be um, it would be uh, yeah that would be the closest so you, you got to play really for the team you supported <laughs> well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go as far as that because, uh, uh, like I say, it is a far cry from uh, the way and the history of English football and English football mm. fans follow their 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 teams and the, the tribalism that we have. Um, so, how did it come about signing for for AGF? Were you just spotted playing for a local side, or? Well. Um, it's it's uh, probably a bit misleading uh, playing for a saying playing for AGF. So I was I was playing for a team uh, Holstebro, which was my first senior club. Um, then I went to uh, I, I sort of finished my uh, before university. I was I was studying in uh, sorry I was going to do my national service. So that was sort of a year out of, of first team football where I played in the reserves at Holstebro, and then. After that, I got into the first team again. But then um, I had my—I wanted to to play for a bigger club, and I, I literally I, just, I moved to Aarhus, which is the second city in Denmark of, of about I don't know about three hundred odd thousand, so similar size as to as to Coventry, I, I think. And um, and I just it was to study, but. Uh, then I just signed up to go and play for the for the for the club. So in in Denmark, they, you have a first team, but then you also have a second team and a third and a fourth in each football club. It's not like Coventry only have a oh, first okay. team. Okay. Uh, so you, it's kind of a the, the the top the first team is just the um, the top of a grassroots team. Um, so right, okay. I thought, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go over there I'm going to prove myself to them and uh, I'm going to get, eventually get into the first team so uh, <laughs> so that's that's my my route into AGF and I actually ended up only staying for for one year uh, because then I moved and I'm playing for the for the reserves but uh, I, I then got a move uh, got signed for AC Horsens which is an hour down the road from Aarhus um, and uh, yeah that's that's when I it sort of started to take off for me what was the dream obviously I know you were playing in your home country was the dream as a footballer always to try and get a move to England or did it just come about kind of off the cuff no that was always that was always a dream um, so 
so professional football uh, back then in, in Denmark weren't uh, weren't that big and and um, well it it was you could obviously make a living from playing football at the top level but there was the draw first of all the draw of English football and then the draw of the adventure abroad to play professional football abroad um, well I should really start with the, you wanted to be a professional footballer and I wanted it to happen in Denmark first I wanted to play for AGF, AGF but it didn't happen so um, I, a couple of years before I went to uh, so this was in what was this when I moved to Horsens that was in 90 uh, in 98 in mm-hmm. 1998 so I think in 1997 96 or 7 I'd read an article in the paper there was a there was a, a football agent who who'd written an article saying that in the English lower leagues you could play for you can play full-time professional football you can play in front of 5 6000 people every day uh, every game uh and and I just thought all right I I never considered this as an as a as a as an option yeah. uh, or as a possibility so mm. Because I could see that my career, my sort of youth, not teammates maybe, but people I played against, they they come from academies and they've had the chance. They, they, they were sort of on a career path yeah. that pointed them in a certain direction that I wasn't. And I thought, well, I'm just as good as them. Yeah. Uh, and, and I thought, all right, well, I have to do something differently. So I, I wrote to, uh, to the... The, the clubs in the second and third division then, that, which is League 1 and League 2. Yeah. Um, me and my brother-in-law, we, we went to the local library to go on the <laughs> internet to, to, to download and print out all contact details. And then we just, yeah, started contacting clubs. So that would be in 90, that was 1998 in the, in the winter. We, we were fac- faxing and ringing uh, <laughs> clubs like Fulham when Kevin Keegan was a manager, Preston wow. North End where David Moyes was, uh, Notts County, I think Sam Allardyce was the manager there. And um, Yeah, so eventually Bournemouth, um, they said, all right, yeah, come over for a trial. And uh, I went there and, uh, and did all right. And then, yeah, that's how it happened. It, it's crazy, really, obviously. <laughs> you, you, went, you went from Denmark to England and obviously from Aarhus, because Michael Doyle, when he was at Celtic, went alone to our house to learn his trade in Denmark, didn't he? And obviously, you played with him. Did, did you ever mention it with him? Yeah, we, well, just yeah, we, we talked uh, about uh, yeah. He was he was there a few years after I I left. I don't know if he was there for a season. And um, uh, yeah, we talked about how he how he enjoyed it there and uh, and uh, getting over. I think he was on loan from Celtic, was he? Yeah. Uh, at the time, and. Uh, and I think that was a, you know, it was a good way for him also to get away. Obviously, he's gone away from Ireland, but still to, to go even further away to a country that where English isn't the first language, it, it would be a good experience for him. So yeah, we did we did have a talk, uh, talk about it. Yeah. Um. So, so you come over to England uh, to Bournemouth. You're 23, I think, at that sort of yeah. time. Um. Yeah. That, that's that's a big sort of step for for a, you know a, a young man to take. Um, did did you just hit the ground running at Bournemouth? Was it a case of you've gone in for the trial and? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, uh, so just going back to the to the trial, we we'd agreed because we'd been pestering them, we'd been calling them <laughs> for this trial. Go on, give me a game, I can do something here, yeah, and and 
and I think there were there were that's in the end how what what maybe got me the trial was that the persistence uh, from me and my brother-in-law to to keep calling them and I got picked up in the airport uh, on a Tuesday morning I left uh, went on the plane six o'clock in the morning over over in Denmark got picked up at Heathrow by John Williams the assistant manager he took me down to stay in a hotel uh, and in the evening we were playing a reserve match against Chelsea and mm-hmm. um, and I hadn't I hadn't played for five weeks because it was the winter break so I was a little bit more oh, let's see how the fitness holds up yeah <laughs> and uh, the agreement was if I did well then I they would I could train with the first team once and then my plane was going back to Denmark so uh, to, anyway, to be fair that's quite a lot of pressure yeah well yeah looking back that's what uh, I thought you know it was it's basically you get your chance here's a chance you're going to take it or you're going to blow it so yeah. I just thought alright well I'll uh, I'll I'll do my best uh, and played in the match and uh, helped. I was involved. We lost two one. We won a lot. I was involved in the in the goal that we scored and and uh, so I mean these days you uh, certainly in Danish football you you are required to give a big long list of feedback to the player how he did pros and cons what he could improve on and blah blah. Uh, but my feedback after the game was I was in the shower and and uh, the assistant manager just looked in All right. So, so you're training Thursday then, he said. And I, uh, yeah, <laughs> that was the feedback. All right, I must have done all right then. And um, uh, which is brilliant, really, because uh, anyway, I, I thought, all right, I'm going to show them now. So I turned off the training and I did really well. And I remember in training, I was uh, playing sort of 2v2 drills, uh, sort of interval games. And, uh, and I did really well. And I scored a couple of goals right next to where the manager stood, you know, Mel Machen, classic. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, manager standing in his long uh, overcoat with a, a flat cap and not saying a word in training. And I, I just thought after I hit those couple of, because it was always his coaches that took the sessions. But when I mm-hmm. hit a couple of goals, I thought, all right, if you're not signing now, you can, you know, <laughs> so-and-so. So, uh, but they, they wanted me. And, uh, and uh, when I signed and, uh, and joined in the following summer, because it, uh, it was a pre-contract we signed, um, yeah, I hit the ground running and uh, got player of the year in the first year, and uh, yeah, it's, it all sort of uh, came together for me. It's quite a nice introduction to England going to Bournemouth because it's a lo- lovely, lovely place as well. So it's kind of easier to settle down. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, yes, it, but still, you um, it's you're away from home and mm. you're on your own, and it's uh, I'll say. The lower leagues, uh, you know, you gotta, you got to uh, look after yourself. Be able to uh, look after yourself both on the pitch and, and more importantly, off it, because there's yeah. a lot of time on on your own, and uh, uh, you feel lonely a lot of the time. Um, so, they, yeah, the lads will look after you. That's sort of that, but but they uh, at bigger clubs, I think there are more. Uh, they were thinking about the player maybe a little bit earlier than they were lower down. And yeah. you know, they, there's not enough money for people. I mean, I went to Bradford uh, after Bournemouth and they had a relocation officer to, to take around to look at houses where you could live and all that. All these sorts of things you have to you know, you do on your own in, in Bournemouth, although some people were helping you. So um, it's, uh, it, I wouldn't say it was... Yeah, it's a lovely area, but when you're uh, alone, then it's not always what you look for. 
Absolutely. And b- b- before you joined Bournemouth, did you know much about the club? Because like, I'm looking at the squad now, and there's there's some big names there that obviously we know now: James, uh, Eddie Howe, um, Mark Steen, you know, to, to name a few. Um, did did you know much about them at all, or, or was it just a case of I don't care who it is, I just want to play football? I, I tell you what, when I when I looked at that printout we got from the library back then, I I we the clubs I didn't know. I I've heard, I knew about Man City. They were in the second division then. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, in League One, and um, and I printed out this. Uh, I drew, drew this map of England uh, on. I put on my fridge, and then I, I put the names of the of the clubs where they were geographically because I did not have a clue. Bournemouth, <laughs> I did not know anything. What was Bournemouth? But part of it that was also the attraction that yeah. you uh, you go on. A, this is an, an adventure. You can tell now tell a story that no one else can. Um, so, so that was, yeah, I, that, that made me even want it, uh, want it even more, but, uh, no, I can't say I knew anything. <laughs> and I had a lot to learn, by the way, <laughs> of English football. Well, you had a great first season. Um, uh, you scored in the third game of the season, which obviously that's, that's against Colchester. That's got to do good to kind of settle your nerves a little bit and introduce you to the fans. Cause obviously I'm guessing they knew nothing about you neither. No, <laughs> no, they didn't know anything about me. I, and uh, funny story: the uh, the assistant manager who's in charge of getting players in on on trial, he uh, it showed later on he didn't know much about me either. Because when we were driving down to to Bournemouth on the trial, because I played in the second best league in Denmark, which was called the first division. Yeah. And so as we're driving down, we're talking football. I said, "Well, in Denmark." The, the the tier system is a bit similar to to England at the time. You got the Premier League, you got the First Division in Denmark, you got the Super League, you got the First Division. And he said to me after, when you said you played in the First Division and that was a second tier, I could have kicked myself because I thought I'd I had brought a player in who had played in the best league in Denmark. <laughs> so I, I would have, I would have never got shot in England if I hadn't. Uh, if he had known, so <laughs> that's how little uh, uh, he would uh, the English know about Danish football as well. So, um, but yeah, no, it's um, I, I, I started well and, and scoring that goal was uh, yeah, I suppose was yeah, in, it helped. But I never thought, I never had one um, uh, doubt that I was going to do well. And this is you know the maybe inexperienced the youth in you that uh, you've never experienced any, well, you, you just believe in yourself. And I was, I was not going to let this, this chance uh, go away and uh, I was going to take it. And, um, but um, yeah. And, and, and I got a great start and good first season at the club. Well, one thing I want to touch on Klaus, obviously coming from, from Denmark to England, how did you find the change in culture? Obviously, especially back then, it, not so much now. But after a game, you going out, you going out for a few beers and stuff. You going on nights out. Were you doing that back home anyway, or did you kind of learn to drink in England? Um, <laughs> I, I, I've I heard about drinking, and I thought, <laughs> and I thought I could drink before I came to England. Uh, <laughs> now, it's, now in Denmark, what happened was uh, there, there wasn't. First of all, the culture where you go out and meet out for a drink doesn't exist in Denmark uh, or certainly didn't exist as much as uh, um, as it did uh, in England or back then. So uh, Danish nightlife 
with drinking would would usually only happen Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah. Uh, and with our games uh, being on Sunday, usually, there would be the odd Saturday game that everyone was looking forward to because then you can go out uh, <laughs> afterwards. They would only... So you've got the spring season and the autumn season and usually you play on Sunday. So you wouldn't really be drinking alcohol for, for, for four months at a time, uh, four or five months at a time, uh, only in the, in the winter breaks. So that was a, that was a difference. Um, <laughs> I think I think between the English, English uh, culture and the Danish, that that could be a happy medium because I don't, um, you know, depends on who you are. But you uh, being teetotal, I'm not sure is going to uh, benefit you in the long run because there's some emotional good things about being out and relaxing. But, yeah. But uh, all the time, that's obviously that was a bit of an eye opener that uh, <laughs> people people were going out on a Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, even you know, the pubs were closing at eleven back then, uh, but still, you'd go out and uh, and have a few beers on, on a regular basis. I thought, well, there's the beers, but then also there's the standing up and there's the walking around. That's you're not you're not relaxing. So, yeah. <laughs> which. Uh, yeah, I was very surprised about. You, you hear quite a few foreign players say that they thought they could drink and they come to England and they're like, no, 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 I've really got to learn to drink because the English are just mad. <laughs> yeah, no, the but the thing is that then the um, the bars would uh, would close at at two o'clock, wouldn't they? Or nightclubs yeah. would normally yeah. close at two o'clock, uh, whereas then in Denmark they don't shut till five six in the morning. So then you'd. Uh, yeah, you'd, you'd you'd catch up on on everything you've missed out during the week. Um, yeah, but um, no, I I really enjoyed the uh, social culture in England. And we say, and isn't isn't is not you know just the drinking, but it's actually the one where you go out and you meet people, and people are more talkative, and uh, that's a, that's one of the great parts. That's one of the parts I miss about England. Did you find it strange when you started getting recognised by fans? Yes, very. Um, uh, I remember uh, first time my parents were able to see me. We, uh, we went into uh, went into a restaurant, and uh, and uh, <laughs> it was as if I've set it up because <laughs> the, the 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 waitress came over and and said, "Oh, there's um, if she could have my autograph because there was a, someone working in the kitchen. He was a big Bournemouth fan." And my parents, they couldn't really understand what was going on. <laughs> uh, and I was sitting there signing autographs. And, uh, you know, like a couple of months earlier, they, they, no one would, would know about me. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that was, that was strange. You know, when, when there's TV cameras turning up for your preseason training and, and there's thousands of people turning up for, for preseason games. And uh, that, was a big, that was a big change, yeah. Um, the first season... You end up playing um, 53 games and scoring six goals. So you must have had a good impression to become that much of a first-team regular. Um, how was it then, you know, you got your first season as about as a professional footballer. Going into that second season, are you full of confidence? Um, you know, did you kind of feel like, I belong at this level sort of thing? Yeah. I mean, the level I came from, which was Danish first division, division weren't bad. So, so, uh, and, um, so, and I had proven, I, I'd, I'd, uh, played in, in all competition, played 30 games and scored 20 goals from midfield in the, in the Danish first division. And that's, 
and you could maybe say, all right, well, from a career point of view, maybe you should stay and uh, one more year, then you might be at a Danish Super League club. Uh, and then you, your pass could have gone to maybe Holland or Germany, whatever. But so I wasn't, I wasn't a bad footballer. So I, and I, I had a lot of confidence in myself. Um, so going into the second season, I was, uh, yeah, I was. Well, here we go. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna crack on. Also, I knew obviously. Uh, going into my second season, I'm 24. Yeah, when I became full time pro. It was at 23, so I knew that I was a little bit playing catch up to some yeah. to some people. So, so um, I'm a little bit of an underdog. I want to show you. So I, I was um, really motivated to, and I had I signed a one year contract with a one year option. So going into the second season, that was the option. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, they haven't offered me a contract, a longer contract. So this is my chance to build on my first season and. And, uh, you know, I can't make any mistakes because then my chance of climbing the ladder might not be there. So, uh, yeah, so that that was how I went into the second season. Obviously, you think that you're going to, you think that the success is just carrying on and then you, you, you meet a few bumps along the way. When you come to England, did you speak English or did you have to learn it? Uh, yeah, I spoke English. Uh, I had to learn the dressing room English. Yeah. <laughs> I had to get a few more... F and this and F and that yeah. in there, uh, which 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 uh, I, I did quite well with because I got my first uh, red card at Colchester, <laughs> saying the ref was an F and T. Um, <laughs> I was only trying to help him because he should have given me a free kick. He might not have spotted it. So, but uh, yeah, so uh, <laughs> so that sent me into an early bath. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Um, the, the, the second season, there's. A couple of players I want to touch on from your time at, um, at Bournemouth. But I remember vividly, um, there was a lot of press coverage around Bournemouth that season because of a certain young lad on loan from West Ham was scoring for fun, um, Jermaine yeah. Defoe. Yeah. Um, didn't he go on a spree of like 16 consecutive games scoring or something like that? Uh, not quite, but but yeah, it was, it was, um, it, it ended up being 10 consecutive league games, I think it was. Um, that he scored, and uh, before he arrived, so that was in the second season. Before he arrived, I think we'd had something like we played sixteen games, and we had thirteen points or something like that. And uh, um, and Sean O'Driscoll, he was the manager. He um, he he then uh, pulled some some strings, or, or you know, from the from the West Ham connection with. Harry Redknapp. So Harry Redknapp, he was a manager at West Ham, still lived in Bournemouth, and uh, he sent Jermaine Defoe down. And I, I remember watching, West, I think it was West Ham Walsall in a cup, in a League Cup game, and I think Jermaine had played in that. He, he scored a goal anyway, and they were saying, "Oh, he's a young, young future star, whatever." And I just saw this little boy. He just disappears <laughs> in this kit. It's lost. Yeah. So this kid's just too big for him. But anyway, so he came down on loan to to Bournemouth, and uh, and yes, uh, he just started a revival for us back then. Because obviously, with only six forever thirteen points after sixteen games, we were near relegation. Yeah. But we ended up missing out on the last day. We missed out on on a, uh, on a playoff spot because he'd uh, because he had contributed massively. 
uh, to our success. And that, I suppose, shows you a little bit what a goal scorer can do for you because it gives you confidence and you can get, yeah, you, you know you always got that chance and threat up front. So um, he was he was amazing. I, I personally think he's one of the best natural goal scorers I've ever seen play the game. I've always liked Jermaine. I'll tell you what, he was, uh, when, he, when he came to the first day in training, uh, you know, we've, we finished off with a, with a little, I don't know what it was, 6v6 in a little, in three teams, 6v6 or something, um, and, and on, a, on, a, on a smaller pitch. And he just scored. You know, you got those session, training sessions now and again, you just score all the time. And, and uh, I was saying, oh, bloody, all right, he can hit the target, but all right, let's see if we can do it tomorrow or, or next yeah. time. Yeah. And, that just, and that just carried on. He just, what I noticed, he never, well, quite never, he rarely missed the target. So you can't always score. So if if you don't score, at least make the keeper save it. And that seemed to be what he was doing. Every time he's in a situation on an angle or whatever, is he getting a half chance? Is he? If he gets a shot away, he's not blasting it over. It's not it's not rash, but he always hit the target. Um, so yeah, phenomenal. And um, yeah, he was uh, he was the deciding factor in that we all almost got into the playoffs. When it came to to leaving Bournemouth, Klaus, was it? Was it because you were not offered a new deal? Did you fancy a change? Well, I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to play in the championship, which was then the first division. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so it, it was uh, purely a career move. Um, it, if if Bournemouth had, if we'd gone into the playoffs, I think we because our momentum, our momentum towards the end of the season was was great. I think we've had a great chance to get promoted. I think. So in the in the in that race that year was I think Brent for Reading I think Reading Wigan teams like that they were they were in and amongst it yeah um, but yeah it was Bournemouth they they came in with an offer after the season um, I sort of uh, I was a little bit disappointed that and that that's, that goes. Uh, that goes for a lot of clubs that they waited so late with starting a dialogue. Um, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so when I got a chance to go up to Bradford in the in the in the championship, that, there was no doubt that that's what I wanted to do. Uh, again, I was twenty five by this time, so. Hey, again, and, and Bradford had just come down, hadn't they, from the Premier League? That's right. They had, they had, uh, they got rele- Did they get relegated on the same day as uh, Coventry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. It was them and Man City that came down together. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so uh, yeah, there was no doubt that. Yeah, I, I wanted to move on, even though that. I mean, it was especially after the season we had. It was a great. We had such a great team and feeling, uh, but you know, things move on. Another thing as well, which kind of. It's not, it's not just the step up in leagues. It's you're going from Dean Court, which holds six, seven, eight, nine thousand, to Valley Parade, which is a beautiful stadium. So you're going up again in terms of playing in front of more people at a bigger stadium, which has got to be more attractive. Yeah, uh, and and again, I didn't know I didn't know about uh, Bradford really as a as a town or a city or an area. Um, so uh, so when I got up there and I saw the, the stadium, it was you know it was really impressive. And again, it's it's a bit of an adventure. Okay, okay. I know a little bit about little bit about uh, players and and the team up there, but I've only been in England two years at, uh, at this point. And uh, although I know much more about English football and players and teams and managers now uh, through through the media, back then 
you don't. So that's yeah. still an adventure. Um, and uh, I went up there and I signed. I think I signed on a on a Friday, and um, and when I went down back to Bournemouth uh, in the summer there, and uh, I think it's it's July time. I can't remember the date. But on the Saturday, I switch on the news, and uh, and there's news from Bradford, and uh, and the whole Manningham Lane is up in fire because of the Bradford riots. Mm. So. Um, I thought, oh right, bloody hell! What is this? Is, uh, surely it can't be because they know I've signed. <laughs> uh, but it's, but it was a, it was a Bradford rise. I said, like, oh bloody hell, what's going on here? And so when I eventually joined, I um, uh, I, I stayed in the hotel uh, for the first couple of weeks. And in the, in the hotel is an, is is a man who's, uh, yeah, his hotel uh, had burnt down in the in the um, in the riots. So it's. Okay. Different world, different world. Yeah. I, I think the other thing to touch on with Bradford, you know, again, showing all, all respect to Bournemouth, you've you've come from a side that's trying to get promoted to the Championship to a side that's just been relegated from the Premier League. And the class of the players is is completely different as well. You know, we touched on some of the players at Bournemouth, Eddie Howick, uh, Warren Feeney. But then you walk into a dressing room with Stuart McCall, David Weverall, Benito Carboni. Like, yeah. wow! Surely you've got to be standing on the tra- on the tra- training ground, looking around, saying, "Yeah, this this is a bit more like it." Well, uh, yeah, and you can. It was it was really a, a, a different a different uh, environment at Bournemouth. Uh, all all us players, we we were mainly younger players that wanted to climb the ladder. And uh, and and like we finished the season, everything's on a positive. Going to Bradford, and as it turned out, with them being going into administration later on that first season, uh, everything was going on a downward spiral, uh, and people um, were given a lot of money, and all of a sudden the attitudes were maybe in it for themselves a little bit, uh, and including uh, including the uh, the ownership. Trying to get players out uh, by different means, so it was a it was a different challenge altogether. Um, but I, I, I'll say in the standard of the standard of players, they were obviously different. Uh, fantastic goalkeeper. I, I just I just one thing I remember it's just bloody harder scoring in training. <laughs> and I, I still thought the goalies at Bournemouth were they were good goalies. That's not I just bloody hell. Okay, you've got to work harder to get a chance. But then when you when you threw, oh, there's this trailing leg of a goalkeeper. There's a few little incidents I remember in training. Bloody hell, this is you got you got to you got to step up now, which is which is great because that's what that's what, what what you want as well. Yeah, I was looking at that squad. Right? Gary Walsh um, oh. as one of the, as one of the keepers. What a keeper he was! Oh, um, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, he was. I think he actually he was a player. Was he player of the year? I think he was player of the year with the, the the year that went down. I think he may have been, yeah. Um, but you know, you, you have some serious firepower, you know, and, and as a midfielder, like, that's great for you to to look forward and see the likes of, um, you know, I've touched on Benito Carbone before, Danny Calamari, Robbie Blake, you know, yeah, yeah. That's that's what made your job a lot easier. Well. Uh... 
Well, no, because uh, if they are attacking players, they're in my way. So they're, <laughs> they're stopping me from getting in the team. And that was the case early on. Um, the uh, the manager, Jim Jeffries, he uh, he wasn't using me. And uh, and there was, I, I could, well, I was offered, Bournemouth offered to take me back on loan. And in the end, because he had just put me on the bench, uh, he uh, he said, well, do you, do you want to go back to lo- back on loan then? And I had given it a chance at Bradford. I said, well, I, I want to play. So, yes, I want to go back on loan. And then he took me aside. I don't know if it was the, sort of the day after and said, I'm not going to let you go on loan because I'm going to, I'm going to, well, I'm going to start using you. <coughs> and he started using me as actually as a right back. Um, okay. So, um, had you played it right back before? I had played right back um, at my first club at uh, Hulse Bro. So, uh, uh, and I played uh, wing back at Horsens. That's what I was signed for. But then I moved into the middle. They played three five two. I played as as uh, as one of the three in the middle. Sometimes the attacking one, which I thought was uh, was my strength. I could I could I had the energy to run forward, but also to get back in. So one of my strengths was to run into the box, get on the end of of things, and take chances, take uh, attacking chances when my defensive marker was not concentrating. So, but. Um, but yeah, so um, so but that was good. Some good players in the in, in the in the Bradford team. Yeah, it was Gunnar Haller, Norwegian yeah, international. Yeah. Um, there was um, Robbie Blake, like you said, a great player of great ability. But as a team, we probably just it just fell apart a little bit. Yeah, it, it looks like some great individuals, like players like yeah. Lee Sharp, Ian Jess as well, Gareth Wally. You know, some really good individuals that have had fantastic careers. Yeah, and I, th- I think, um, and I think that maybe it, it just sort of maybe it was the wrong gel. Uh, and I think the the owner at the time had said that uh, maybe some players have been signed uh, for a lot of money, and then when money starts to be uh, a factor in 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 club in. Um, in moves, well, they are a factor, but uh, I just think that we we weren't pulling maybe in the in the everyone in the same direction. Again, yeah, I I, I can understand that being the case. Um, was this around the same sort of time that the ITV deal went? Uh, yeah, it was. ITV digital, weren't it? All went wrong for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that was uh, that was then. Yeah, uh, towards um, the end of that season, uh, between so this is we are in. I went up there two thousand and one. So in the summer two thousand and two, I think round about that time, the ITV Digital um, uh, went uh, went the ITV Digital went bust. I think, and uh, and going into May, when uh, oh, sorry into June, I think we I, I was on holiday. And I got a phone call to say that yeah, club's gone into administration, and uh, and the administrators called me to say that yeah, you've lost your job. Um, but uh, we had, we were all reinstated with the with the help of the PFA. Um, so clubs can't just do this all the time; they're, they're in financial troubles. But unfortunately, a lot of people lost their jobs, uh, which was which was quite sad, you know. The one positive that came out that second season is a hell of a stat that um, I wasn't aware of until doing the research for this. You scored in eight consecutive away matches. Yeah, the stat that everyone looks for in football. <laughs> How many away matches in a row? Yeah, that's right. That's phenomenal. It was. Um, 
Yeah, and uh, I think it started. Uh, it started uh, around Christmas time. Yeah, um, and then Wolves. it sort of. Yeah, at Wolves. Yeah, and I think I think I might have. My parents were over and watched. We played Stoke and Boxing Day at home. Uh, I think I scored in that one. You it did. Could have been. <laughs> Could have been the next game then at, at Wolves. I, I got a goal that uh, the first goal, and I remember after the game there was uh, we were doing the warm down, and some um, some Bradford fans which were in a box and, and they were quite loud, and they've had quite a lot to drink. And they were they were singing my name, and and they were saying that because they put my, me as the first goal scorer to what what. Ever forty to one or something, and they, uh, um, yeah, they, they were enjoying that. So yeah, that was it. Was it was at a time where uh, I played as a we played four or four across the midfield. Uh, I was one of the one of the two in the middle, and um, it's just where you know everything you hit goes in. Yeah, and um, I've I've always when I've when I've played. Uh, even when I played as a disciplined midfielder, I always wanted to uh, make sure that I get in a situation in every match where you have one chance. Get yourself in an area where someone has the ability to pull it back to you or, or the cross comes in where you, you lost your marker. Make sure you're in an area uh, once in a game where you give yourself a chance to score. Um, and then Because then I always back myself to, I, to, to finish because I was, I was always half decent at a finisher. I could always sort of hit the target usually with the, you know, both feet reasonably good and I could sort of head it, but just get yourself in a situation where that can happen. Um, mm. And that, and then in that period, it just came off. Uh, confidence builds and you're never going to, you think you're never going to miss the target. So, um, yeah, it all came together in that period. You you were at Bradford for two years Um and you moved to Coventry. Obviously, we'll, we'll touch on it in a minute how you heard about the move to Coventry. But last month, we interviewed Andy Morrell. Um, and he said you're still one of his best mates to this day. How was it linking up with Andy Morrell? Well, um, Andy, he, uh, he, his background was that uh, he was not from an academy system either. Uh, mm. When I met him at Coventry, something, I thought, all right, well, he, first of all, if you know me, you know he's a, he's a really nice guy and makes you yeah. feel really very comfortable nice and he's uh, he's a, he's a very modest person and um he's definitely one of my best mates uh, and we yeah when i met him at coventry uh he had done extremely well at Wrexham, scored 40 odd goals in a season i think he was the most scoring uh, british player in that in, what, yeah. 2002 2003 season um and he'd come into football late, just like me. He's been at, <coughs> was he working? Worked in, in a gym, I think. Yeah, he worked in a gym up in, up in Newcastle, did he? And then he, he got a chance at Wrexham. So we'd, we'd sort of seen a little bit of normal life uh, before coming into football. And um, so uh, we, uh, we ended up, I don't actually, I don't think we, um, we weren't rooming at Coventry, I think. But we ended up then playing three years at Coventry together. And uh, obviously, we went on to Blackpool together as well. And yes, he went to Blackpool, and I, I joined uh, a few a few weeks later, and we were two years there together uh, before he he moved on. When you signed for Coventry, did you know much about did you know much about Coventry, and how how did the deal come about? Um, well, it, I heard about interest from Coventry before the previous season ended, uh, and 
Um, I th- I don't know if this was the reason, but I uh, I was I was having to mark. I was asked to man mark Gary McAllister because he was uh, wow. He was uh, <laughs> oh, he was one of Coventry's best players um, yeah. in, in that season before, and um, and you know I always thought well that's it's a pretty simple task to have if you can't man mark someone it's because you can't concentrate because you just got to stay with him yeah. uh, so uh, I just stayed on his tail all day and uh, he, he didn't get much of a kick and I remember this was at Bradford he was uh, he got really frustrated and um, and he shouted out to Eric Black his assistant come on Eric do something and I think that was more because <laughs> because I was running around annoying him but uh, now nah, it was uh, whether whether that sort of um, made an impression on me I, I don't know but I, I ended up obviously scoring some goals and um, and uh, and in the end um, in the lead up to the or in the pre-season I came down to to play a, a couple of, of friendlies one once against Wolves and once against Mansfield and then then signed signed thereafter but then it yeah then obviously things happened with Gary McAllister and his wife fell ill and and, uh, and passed away eventually, not not straight away. And um, yeah, it was it was a really sad time for him. Yeah, massively so. What's the Greg podcast? Follow us on social media for all of the latest news, releases, and giveaways. At What's the Greg PC? Um, I, I suppose it probably helped as well. You know, we touched on your score of uh, those away games. One of those was at Highfield Road. Um, so, so you, you obviously you'd played at Highfield Road before, but how how was it joining Coventry and being a home player at Highfield Road? Obviously, we have some great memories of that place. Yeah, I I remember when I when I watched watched games on TV. I, I really liked the ground. I really liked the sort of closed in corners uh, at at the one end, and and uh, that's, it seemed always to be a good atmosphere. And uh, when I when I when I signed for Coventry, I just I thought, okay, this is my first time at a big club, so this is my love uh, that. Not not that not that not that Bradford wasn't a big club. It, I mean, Bradford, by the way, has got huge potential with the mm-hmm. uh, with the support. So they they can it's a it's a you know it's a, it's a crowded area. There's a lot of people that could they could tap into. So, but um, I thought, okay, with the history that Coventry's got, they, um, they obviously want to get back into the Premier League, and I might I might have a chance here to get to to play in the Premier League. Um, so I was really excited, and also Gary McAllister. He was a big draw because of uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, that goes back to watching football, uh, watching English football from uh, when I was a, a young boy in, in Denmark. Uh, he was he was someone that I sort of looked up to. Um, skillful player, midfielder, could play both feet and and very technical and um, and exciting. So. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was hopefully going to be a start of. Uh, um, my, because my career at Bradford didn't really. I, I spent the first year in and out. Well, in and out of the team, more out than in actually. And then the second year, manager didn't really want me to start with. But then, then he started playing me, and I did well. So, and then the ITV digital. So it's been a bit sort of stop start. I was looking for a new start at Coventry. Was there anyone else interested, um, or, or, or was it just Coventry? There wasn't. I wasn't negotiating with anyone else. There's been. Uh, there's been. A, there was a little bit of talk with, about other, another couple of clubs, uh, 
Um, but there wasn't anything concrete on the table. I think Burnley was one of them, and uh, but nothing really um, materialised. And uh, and Coventry was obviously uh, uh, they were they were an exciting prospect. I thought uh, we've got a touch on it. Obviously, we've mentioned Horsfield Road. And Andy Wing scored the last goal there. The, the last game at Horsfield Road, he actually came on for you. How, how was it playing that day in, in, with that atmosphere? Uh, well, we um, well, first of all, it was it was amazing. Is um, that game and the first game at uh, the Rico were they are one of my two highlights in, or two of my highlights in my career, definitely. Um, what we often forget is that we were we were not doing well. At the time, and the game yeah. at uh, the last game at Highfield Road was the penultimate game of the season, and and uh, had we not won that one, we would have uh, we would have taken into the last game to, yeah. to 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 try to be to secure our survival. So um, uh, so a lot was riding on it, and um, but coming out to see the 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 sea of sky blue, uh, it was it was incredible, and. Uh, and there's 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 no doubt that the support we got were, were helped us going into uh, into half time being four nil up. Um, so um, it was just seeing it through in the second half. But what a, what a day that was! Oh, it, it lives long in the memory. Uh, I, I know, especially me and David, uh, and probably every other commentary fan around that sort of time. Um, was it around that sort of time that you first got your international call up? I got my no. I think that was uh, did it. Um, yeah, could it could have been? Where are we now? So that's uh, two thousand and five. Uh, I got my first. Yeah, that was in two thousand and four. You're right there. That was in the in the um, in the qualifiers. I think the European Championship qualifier. Uh, the the uh, the previous. Yeah, in the in in sort of September time. I think it was. Um, yeah, I get. I got a call up for for the Fair Islands. Um, I might get the dates wrong or the, even the championship wrong, but yeah. So um, yeah, that's right. I started because uh, my mother's from the Fair Islands, and uh, and they they called me up to to their their campaign and uh, made my debut in in Switzerland. Um, result we won't really talk about, <laughs> but it was a tennis score, and we didn't uh, we didn't score any. So, uh, but uh, yeah, some experience there. Did you, did you ever think you'd play for Denmark? Um, yes, yes. <laughs> that's a short answer. Uh, the call up never came. Uh, I, I think, in my own head, anyway, there was uh, there was a time where the the the, the manager for Denmark uh, had a few injuries and they had some friendly games, and uh, I was doing really well for for Bradford, and I thought, well, if this this would be the closest I could get a call up, I, I, I probably was never considered but uh, but it never came and um and uh, so i thought well getting the chance for the fair islands that would be uh, i, I would because international football i mean i'm so glad i've had the opportunity because it is is really special yeah 100 uh, just to touch on on a famous danish player who everyone knows is a bit of a lunatic have you ever met thomas gravison <laughs> no, no, I haven't. I, we, we're the same age, actually. We we played uh, youth team football together uh, against each other, and uh, an indoor football because in the winter breaks there would be uh, there would be like an indoor season, which 
uh, is probably why this, you know certainly develop develops technical skills. No, I haven't. I've heard uh, stories about him, but <laughs> yeah, um, yeah he's, uh, he, he is a character if there ever was one. We can't talk about characters uh, without talking about some at your time at Coventry. Um, some of them that we've been lucky enough to interview doing this podcast, Scott Shearer being one of them. We had a conversation with Scott, um, and I've never laughed so much in my life. Um, he was crazy. What, what was he like on, a, on, on you know at the training ground and on a day to day basis? Well, he's a goalkeeper, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah one. he's a goalkeeper, but he's a uh, yeah, he's um, he's a lo- he's a lovely guy, and and he would always be mixing with uh, McSheffrey and uh, Craig Peed, and uh, yeah, always be up to something. Doyle as well, and um, but uh, yeah, I don't know if uh, if if some of the stories are probably better kept quiet but he would, uh, <laughs> he would certainly not be uh, be a quiet one in the dressing room yeah he, he was crazy another player we weren't quiet how was it when you start training at Royton and Michael Doyle was in your ear for the whole training session oh Michael Doyle yeah he's uh, well that's yeah there's there's parts of that where you 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 you, you can sort of alright be annoyed about but he's he's been really good He's a good player to have in your team to get you going, uh, and uh, he won't let standards drop. Um, so, and me included, I've also talked about Doyle, where, where you know his, his some of his pros and cons. But he is um, he, he gives his team he, he gives his team uh, uh, he never lets them take a breather and ease off. He always wants to win. And in his case, he he shows it in, in a in a vocal way, and uh, in a in a in a ratty, pesty way, yeah. uh, which which is great to have in your team as well. So that's uh, that's uh, yeah. But sometimes you it, it goes overboard, and we've had a few arguments as well, and 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 few handbags as well. But uh, but now it's uh, it's definitely he's definitely a character as well. You, you mentioned arguments and handbags with Michael Doyle. Were you there for the famous incident with Robert Page? No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. Um, no, obviously that's when things have gone overboard. But uh, yeah, I I, uh, I wasn't there. I was at Blackpool at the time and uh, heard things oh, okay. had, had happened. And I don't actually quite know what happened, uh, other than obviously uh, it, it went overboard in that instance. Yeah. Getting back to the stuff on the pitch, um, and we we touched on it uh, in the intro, um, and I don't think anybody from Coventry could talk to you and not mention the 20th of August 2005, um, the first game at the Rico. Um, yeah. What's what, a header? <laughs> firstly, what's a header? Um, what, what, what are your memories of, of the day, the build-up to the game, etc.? Well, first of all, I never thought I was gonna I was gonna be at Coventry. I never because the previous season I wasn't the main, uh, you know, I wasn't the first name on the team sheet. And in I think in April, uh, around the t- time when we played last game at Highfield Road, my uh, my best mate in Denmark came over to see me, and I, I said, "I'll oh, see if we can, we we got a little tour in the Rico uh, before it was finished." Because almost like saying, "Look, this is the stadium they're gonna build," and and I felt inside, I felt I, I didn't believe that I was gonna get offered a contract. So I thought, yeah. uh, 
oh, I was so close to playing a real football stadium, a real yeah. top class stadium. Because obviously that were that's what it was at the time. It was news new stadium in England at that time and most modern. So um so uh, but then I was offered a contract but since started the season on the bench. Uh, but in the previous game against um, against Burnley away, Stephen oh. Hughes got got red card, uh, and I I came on uh, in midfield and did well. And obviously they needed a midfielder for for the game against uh, against QPR, uh, the first game at the Rico. So I was uh, I was given a chance, and um, uh, yeah, walking out. You know, it was electric again. It was a sunny day, and uh, it, the whole thing was sky blue and a lot of positivity in the air. And um, and then obviously I got this, uh, this made a late run up through the middle, uh, like I was talking about before, and got at the end of a of a Gary was it Gary McSheffrey cross? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just came in between two uh, two centre backs and 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 headed it in. Uh, so it was, it, and it's a bit of a like an example of typical football, where one minute you're really down, you think you're down and out. Uh, if you give up, you are definitely out. But if you keep going, all of a sudden something's going to happen, and I, I guarantee you something will happen. If you keep going, something will happen, and things can just turn around. Uh, and I, I, I sort of kept believing that, and this is just a proof. And all of a sudden, then you, I've become a quiz question. <laughs> yeah. I, I was say, yeah. To be fair, I, I think you've done yourself a bit of a disservice saying you just had it in. It's the best Darwin had his commentary scene since 1987, mate. But we won the <laughs> <laughs> Listen, just be just being mentioned in that uh, in that same category. Then that's uh, it, it, that makes me proud. But yeah, it's uh, it was a it was a bit of a landmark for the club, obviously. And uh, and uh, if you know, isolated that day, it was just a great day for Coventry, and it was a great performance. And obviously. Also remember the whole team that day did well. Dealey had bowler rang, rang. He was the, unplayable. Ah, uh, he was. He, he made, got sending off. Got two goals, and uh, yeah, he was an animal that day. So, but, um, but what happened in the tunnel, mate? Before the game, when we when we spoke to Michael Doyle, he was saying, um, I think it was Mark Birch and Paul Furlong and Danny Shitty were getting a bit larry in the tunnel, weren't they? Yeah, I was. I was further down the line. I, I didn't notice. I, all of a sudden, there was. Uh, there was uh, some commotion going on, I think, in front of me, and uh, I found out that Doyle had uh, had uh, <laughs> had been causing some of it. And uh, oh, Doyle. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that goes back to the preseason um, game. I beat the cup. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> where where we were two 0 up in in the final of a of a, of a little little cup. And uh, we ended up losing to to QPR, and they were celebrating as if they'd won the <laughs> won the FA Cup. And we were like, "What are they doing?" So that was mentioned in the build-up to the game. That, right, we're gonna we're gonna make sure they, uh, you know, remember what happened, what happened in the um, in the preseason, and uh, and um, and then I think Danny Shitu was was doing some uh, some psyching up to himself and his team, trying to intimidate people and. And I think Doyle got in on the act to say what, what was he thinking he was, and <laughs> and then uh, it was perfect, perfect timing. So uh, and we we rolled, we steamrolled him that day. You you mentioned the RB for Cup. Apparently QPR was celebrating that much because they'd been told if they won they got a night out with no curfew. That's right, that's right. Because <laughs> I play Ian Everett, uh, he's a Bolton manager now, and he was uh, 
I played with them at Blackpool and, and I said to him, what was this all about? Well, that's exactly it. They were promised a night out. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was, yeah. So that's, that's the reason. It's funny. It's funny stories, football. So, uh, if, you know, that was, that was your last season uh, with Coventry. At what point, you, you've touched on the fact that you thought you may have left before the first season of the Rico. Uh, at what point did you realise the writing was on the wall, you know, uh, and prepared yourself to move on? Um, well, I knew uh, I was never, and the clubs I've played for, I've never felt that I was uh, the main player. I probably wasn't, but uh, I, I never felt that, all right, I'm first name on the team sheet. Uh, I suppose I always want to push myself, and if I was, if it was easy, well, then you either attract interest or you move move on, you know, because you want to want to challenge yourself. And I think when we played, we actually played Millwall at at Hive, no, sorry, at at the Rico in December, or November, or something like that. And we won one nil, and I scored. Uh, I think actually Max Sheffrey set set up the goal again, and. Um, I uh, I wasn't picked. I, w- I was on the bench. I was dropped for the next game at, at QPR. Yeah. And then I thought, okay, the manager he hasn't got he hasn't got faith in me, even when I a player's confidence high and and uh, etc. So uh, and from then on, then uh, shortly after, maybe a month after, we I was in and out of the team, and the uh, the manager brought in Dennis Wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, great move, great signing, obviously. And I, I just okay. Well, that that was that was writing on the wall when 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 Wisey came in. Even though it, it would it was a great signing for me, I knew okay. Well, I'm not going to be. Uh, I'm probably going to have to leave. So I wasn't surprised when I was told that following summer. Yeah, Don Hutchison came in around the same sort of time as well, didn't he? Yeah, he came in another another good good signing. Um, so uh, and he he certainly helped us as well, um, but yeah. So so it's sort of I can't say other than I had a real feeling then that without it being said to me, uh, I, I sort of had a good idea. Okay, you're not in the plans because when you could have then, if you were in the plans, then you would have probably been given the chance to go and and build on on the form you're in. So, uh, but that's that's just what happens. So, you, you get your move to Blackpool. Um, was there any other offers on the table, or was it just a case Andy Morrell rang and said, "Look, come on, let's go there together." I uh, we went. Um, I think we went to America, and uh, I'm not. Sh- yeah, I'm just trying to think. Um, Andy, he, I think he was told pretty early that he was, he was not uh, part of the plans. Um, well, I, I, I've been told that I was, um, I could stay, uh, but I wasn't going to play as much. That's sort of how it was said. He, Mick Adams didn't mind me staying, but I was going to just re- I was going to uh, not play as much as as I was in the previous seasons, which basically tells you it's better for you yeah. to move on. Because what was I then? I was, I was thirty, I think. So, uh, um, but um, I've spoken to Simon Grayson during the summer. I, I. Played with him at Bradford. He was on loan. I actually roomed with him at Bradford when he was on loan okay. from. Uh, he, he might have been at Villa at the time, not playing, and then he came to Bradford on loan. So he's. I spoke to him in the summer, and um, 
But still, I, I was I was on an hour in a little bit. I had offers to go to go back to Denmark, but but still the uh, the draw of English football would, yeah. would, was was too great. And then um, then uh, Adrian Heath, uh, the assistant manager, on he called me on on uh, close to transfer deadline. I think it was. Oh, I, I'd also had an offer from uh, from Walsall um, at the time. But then he called me and said they'd signed, um, uh, what's his name, Mark Birch? What's it, Mark, Mark Bircham? What's his, um, from Port Vale. They'd signed... Oh, Chris uh, Birchill. Chris Birchill, sorry. Yeah. Uh, he was the other QPI. You know? Yeah, Chris Birchill, he'd been signed. Uh, so uh, I, was, um, I was not going to be in the plans. So if I wanted to go to Blackpool, that, was, that offer would still be on to go on a free. So... Long story short, I went up there, although it was not done until transfer deadline day. Again, I think they were they were betting on a few horses, and one didn't come in. Then they went to me, so it's a, <laughs> sort of story in itself. But um, yeah, ended up uh, playing with Andy up there, and uh, and we got promoted in the first season from League One to the Championship, playing our promotion game at being the first game at the new Wembley. Uh, and Andy, by the way, he, he I think he was a player, was he, he might have been player of the year that year, or certainly our top scorer, scoring 20 odd goals and a major uh, contributor to to our promotion and then to, to play in the championship again, which is my highlight of my career was playing that uh, that game at Wembley, being uh, the first game. I was going to say, it's uh, it's a great move for you personally. You know, you, you leave Coventry, you drop down a league. But to get promoted in your first season, um, culminating, like you say, at that player final uh, at Wembley, which you started in. Um, Yeah. Does that kind of justify um, your your decision to to want to kind of move on? Although, you know, there was talk that you could potentially stick around and fair enough they brought Birch in, but, you know... The Warsaw we'll talk about. Does that kind of make you think? Yeah, that this is definitely I've definitely made the right decision here. <laughs> yeah. Afterwards, when you afterwards, then uh, you can say that definitely justifies it. First of all, you want to play football, and uh, and you can't always you can't. No one could have expected us to do what we did. Uh, mm-hmm. Finish off winning the last ten games in a row. That was a club record. Uh, the tenth game in a row being at Wembley. Um, uh, there was there was a, there was some investment going into the club, um, so we had, and the manager I think he signed some like ten players, but going to Blackpool, you know, you you, you do a bit soul searching first because it's not the most glamorous of places. So that when but when you get there, I think the other players uh, who had most of them had tried a higher level, mm-hmm. then you um, you get good characters because there's not glamour. So pl- players who are maybe just in there for the glamour, yeah. they wouldn't be there. So I think that was you get you, managers signed good characters, um, and yes, it it was satisfying to to get promoted because uh, I actually never got relegated, never been promoted before, and I, I missed, I've, I've, I've escaped uh, relegation close to the last day, and I, I missed out on playoffs, but. I've never really tried this, and this was—it was so satisfying, and and um, and uh, and you could say, yeah, justified 
the, me moving away. But it is it is not an easy decision because uh, I like Coventry and I, I like the people at the club and the players. And but it was definitely the best move of my career. How was it going to play for Simon Grayson? Considering, like you say, you've roomed with him and shared a picture of him uh, as a teammate to now him being the gaffer. Well, I um, it was always a, a nice guy to to play with, uh, and, and, and almost like a shy person, you know. Um, so I really, I was really motivated because I knew this was he'd been caretaker or he'd been manager so towards the end of the the previous season. So I was motivated to be one of the players that could give him a good start into his managerial career. That was what I was thinking. I was, and I was thinking, all right, I'm looking for a club here. And, uh, you know, he's coming there to, okay, Klaus, I believe in you. Do you want to come and play with me, uh, for me? So I was, I was motivated uh, just by that fact. I think at the time he was, <laughs> he, he tried to sign other players who ended up falling through and then, I just got in by default then because there's no one else to turn to. So I don't want to paint too rosy a picture. But um, he'd, uh, he's certainly proved himself uh, uh, as a manager at that level. You say that, mate. You played 39 games that season, so you can't have been back up, as it were. You know, you, you were an integral part of that squad. Well, the... Um, the uh, yeah, I, I got in and played... A little bit of the, the first games, and then I was dropped, and, uh, and then the team was just doing well. They started to, to win, and uh, I just had to to bide my time. I got appearances uh, off the bench, but it wasn't what I what I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to start games, and but then uh, in the second after Christmas, second part of the season, I was I was playing every game, and I, I think I was the player that played the most in those last ten games. Um, so, uh, yeah, but like I say, it's, I mean, I respect the other players that were there. It was, um, um, they were good players that wanted to prove themselves. And, and that was a hell of a side as well. You know, I think uh, props have got to go to Simon Grayson for his recruitment that summer. Bringing in yourself, you played a key part. Obviously, Andy Morrell scored a shed load of goals. Um, Ian Everett come in, um, Sean Barker. The little magician that is Wes Houlihan. Um, that, that's a that's a hell of a side for you know League One. Yeah, um, yeah, and the, and the, the, the I think all the players had something to prove. Um, but I think with Wes Houlihan, <laughs> I think we we uh, that sort of fell into the club's lap a little bit. I think he came on trial, uh, and I don't think I don't think that he was sort of. Uh, I might be wrong. I, I think I got a feeling that he wasn't sort of identified and recruited. I think he yeah. sort of just came from Hamilton, and uh, and um, yeah, maybe he just matured a little bit at Bradford. Uh, sorry, at uh, at Blackpool. But what a player he was! So he, he was. Up, yeah, there was a few different players as well. He, was, he had a really good career. Was Hulahan? He he uh, yeah, but I think the start. I think he started taking. <laughs> Eventually, taking it more seriously at, <laughs> at Blackpool because uh, he was he was a character as well, lovely, lovely lad as well. You played alongside Keith Southern while you were there, um, who's a legend up there, isn't he? Um, at, at Blackpool, yeah. um, what was he like? Because he's one of those players I think never quite gets the plaudits he deserves. He's uh, incredibly important for a football team. Uh, 
He doesn't make it complicated. He can run all day. He's tough. He he's a leader. He doesn't shy out of anything. He takes responsibility. Um, I had a I had a good partnership with him in in midfield. We were we were playing a lot of four four two and uh, uh, off yeah mainly four four two. And we would have uh, often we would have Wes, very attacking player on the left. And uh, ended up often had either Adrian Forbes, and then the second season we had uh, Gary Taylor Fletcher on the right, and uh, and th- those are very attacking players. So so me and Keith's job is sort of the engine room to try and be solid. I was remember the first game Wes played. We played away at um, at Port Vale, and um, and every, so every time we went forward, I played midfield with Keith uh, and Wes on the left. And every time we went forward and say the chance didn't come off or something broke down, the whole left side is just open because Wes has just gone wandering. And I was like trying to get this player, this player to come back and try and be a bit more disciplined. And I was sort of not arguing. I was trying to tell him, come on, you know, don't be so indisciplined. So uh, then I realized then what he could do with the ball and what he saw going forward. And I thought, all right, I'm just going to see what he does. and I'm going to let him do the forward runs and I'm going to try and slot in and, and fill the gaps that he leaves because otherwise you're going to take the creativeness away from him. So, yeah. but I, I mean, attacking wise, I suffered a little bit because I couldn't go forward. Keith wanted to go forward as well and be indisciplined, but I was, I was 30 at the time and, you know, you start seeing the game a little bit more and then, yeah, I try to slot in and, 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 and get that side of the game right. So you get your promotion, uh, you, you're back in the championship. That, that's got to be, you know, fantastic to, 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 to be back there. But it's a bit of a struggle that season, isn't it? You, um, you finish 19th? Yeah, I can't, yeah, I can't really remember where we finish. We, I just, we knew that, that, you know, we're a very unfancied team, uh, Blackpool. And what we have, we have a lot of togetherness and hard work and, and uh, and being the underdog and and you know it just seemed that every time every time we won a game it, it, the the opposition manager came out and said uh, that was the worst game his side has ever played and all that <laughs> all the, all these things you hear I remember only once Mick McCarthy he came out we played against Wolves and we battered them at our place at our place and I think we lost the game two one or something and and he came out and said that. Uh, that uh, he felt like Dick Turpin. He'd stolen three <laughs> points, and it was—I know it's not, you know, it's easy to say when you've uh, when you win, but that was at least someone recognizing a little bit that we were a decent side because because we were. And like you mentioned, the players, a lot of them gone around to play in the Premier League. Obviously, they got into the Premier League, and um, but it being Blackpool, they will have uh, generations. Uh, uh, it will take generations to sort out the image of Blackpool. Um, so, but yeah, we were we were a good, good side, but um, but uh, yeah, and it was uh, yeah, like I say, a fan- fantastic time. How, how was it when when obviously you leave Blackpool and you come back to the Midlands and you go to Port Vale? Uh, yeah, I, it was Mickey Adams who uh, who uh, he'd been in touch over the summer to say that uh, yeah, if I fancy, he actually offered me to be, be a player coach down there. Okay. Um, but I was still trying to to play in the championship. I play. I've done. I don't know thirty appearances in the championship the previous season, and I felt I wasn't. 
I felt I had more to offer. Um, but uh, but things did materialise, and there was um, there were some financial difficulties in the, uh, amongst football clubs, and I, I just missed the chance. We were talking about going back to Denmark, so timing was was poor, and I was I ended up being with no club. And I had no agent, so I <laughs> sort of falling apart a little bit. But I went and trained with him, and he offered me a non-contract. Then I got, yeah, played a few games for them. Um, but, uh, yeah, in the end, I turned down a, a contract offer. But, yeah, and it, it, because it wasn't, it didn't, it didn't feel right in the end. And, uh, uh, but, yeah, I played four, I played four games and, uh, or five games, Four and a, and, a, and a cup game, I think it was. So, um, so yeah, that was my brief spell at Port Vale. From there, you stay in the northwest and you signed for Fleetwood. Um, was that a tough one? Since you'd played a hundred league games for Blackpool to then go to their local rivals. Well, yes, it, it, the the at, back then the, they weren't the rivals um, because. Uh, they they were still in the. I thought were they in the what they, four five what, sixth tier? I think they were in the sixth tier. Yeah. And mm. uh, but they had been on a. They'd gone promoted. I don't know five six years on the bounce. They had, had Andy Pilly putting uh, money into the club. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, and the reason why I went there was uh, because I I thought I I'd turned down Port Vale and. Um, we were uh, uh, that Fleetwood. If I if I had signed for another, say, non-contract, I think Shrewsbury were were in. They were interested, but they were only interested in a short term because one of the players were injured. That meant that because I'd already been registered for Port Vale, if I then registered for another club, say Shrewsbury, which which came in, uh, and if I was there for a month or two, then I would have been locked. Uh, yeah. For the remainder of that season, so so I saw I had to turn turn them down, and then Fleetwood was the highest team I could play, highest league league positioned team that I could play for without it counting as my second registered club. Okay. So there was a little bit of uh, uh, admin, yeah. Yeah, there's been uh, a lot of going there as well. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was there, but it was never going to be. A long-term thing because I was uh, I was living down in uh, in Warwick, uh, and okay. and I travel up to train once a week, and it was just, I mean, they gave me a chance to keep fit and all that, and that was great. But uh, and I I quickly found out that I couldn't contribute much, um, and it might sound snobbish at uh, <laughs> at at the level because the, yeah. that that level was uh, is it, a lot of uh, kick and rush and, and hustle and bustle and bang bang, yeah. and, and my I've just talked about my strength at the time was was uh, developing to be uh, filling in for people being indisciplined but those indiscipline is <laughs> those situations weren't punished at that level uh, being indisciplined in your team weren't really that punished so i i was i was not really of any great use to them when it when it came to retirement clubs did you ever want to did you want to stay in the game because obviously i know you stayed around the local area and didn't, didn't you do a bit of work at block blue coat school and stuff in coventry um, well, I started um, uh, a flooring, uh, floor renovation company, and uh, Blue uh, Bluecoat School uh, is one of the schools that we've been working on their on their floors, renovating their floors. Um, but uh, yeah, so after 
I, uh, there was the following season in 2010, the, there was a, a contract at Tamworth that fell through on the last uh, yeah, day before the season started, nearly a couple of days before. And that was then too, I was too late in getting to other clubs. So back then I was, I then decided, okay, I'm going to walk away from football. I've, I was a bit, you know, a bit sad with it all. And I, you know, all right, I'm going to try something else because football is a bubble. It's not the real world yeah. uh, much of the time. So, and I always wanted to be, to try and be self-employed, to not rely on someone else's opinion, whether you're in the team or not. And you're, you're the man in charge. So, so I started that, um, but eventually, then got to start commentating for CW BBC CWR, and yeah, and then I realised I wanted to be back involved in football at some point. What are you doing now? So I've uh, so the reason why I came to Denmark was um, was uh, Alborg uh, needed a, a coach in their youth department, in their youth okay. program, in their academy. So I was uh, I've been under 15s coach for. For a year, and then since the summer, I've been uh, under uh, under 19s assistant and individual yeah. coach. Um, now, obviously, now that contract expired in in uh, at the turn of the year. So right now, I'm I'm waiting for an opportunity in football, but I've got a job with um, with a dig- digital uh, business development company in in Aalborg as well, where I'm working on business development with the the UK market. So. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's sort of being part of a team and trying to get a product into into the UK and it's it's going great. Um, and in the current times, football wise, uh, it's it's good to have a job. Football is it's difficult to get a yeah. job at the best of times. These Corona times, um, it's it's even harder. So uh, so I'm just biding my time for to get a chance in football, and then I'm enjoying absolutely enjoying this. I'm giving. My career here, uh, a chance right now. Would, would, would you come back to England for, for, for coaching and stuff? At some at some point, yes. I think football. Um, I mean, there's some. Uh, the reason to go to Denmark is also to do with uh, <coughs> uh, giving uh, kids an opportunity, my kids, to, an opportunity to to live and study uh, in, in Denmark. But yeah. football wise, um, I think. Uh, England can learn from Denmark, but Denmark can definitely learn from England, with, uh, mm-hmm. with, especially with youth development. I think there's some fantastic work going on in England and uh, a country where we, and I say we as English, we love to hammer ourselves. We love to criticise ourselves a lot of the time. But I tell you what, in football, you know, they've got some great coach development um, going on. And uh, I think England will, will, uh, will reap the benefits of it. Hopefully, you know, as an England fan, I definitely hope we will. I think one thing just to kind of put the, the, the cherry on top of your career, I don't know if you are aware of this, but uh, it's something I found out when researching. In April 2012, fans of Bournemouth and Blackpool both voted you as the best foreigner in their club's history. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's, that's right. an achievement, that is. Yeah, I'll, yeah that's right. You have got to be proud of that. I am. I am actually. Um, I, uh, I I saw that one of my uh, one of my teammates he he posted a picture on on Twitter and I I didn't realise it um, and 
you know, it's after you know, once your career's over, that's not because it was obviously two, three years after my my career had finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get a chance to breathe, and out, you know, some footballers they turn their back on football for a little bit, and then they they just want to let the dust settle, and then because I was very disappointed not being, I felt I had more to offer, but yeah, uh, football sort of closed its door on me, and uh, but then when I saw that article, yes, I was I was really. I was really happy because, uh, I mean, yeah, it is one of my uh, yeah, favorite moments after football that uh, you you get a little bit of a pat on your back and you realize that you you are still remembered after yeah. you've played. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, I'm really proud about that. That was part one where we discussed Klaus's career. Join us again for part two where we asked Klaus some of the quick four questions and the best 11 that you ever played with. You are listening to What's the Crack? Good evening and welcome back to What's the Crack podcast in association with JMR Property Maintenance and the Real Estate Plaza. We're now going to ask Klaus some quick fire questions. Klaus, first of all, who's the best manager you played for, mate? Uh, Sean O'Driscoll. Nice. Um, we've, we've touched on a few people uh, in the time we've been talking. Who's the biggest character you've met in football? Uh, oh God! Biggest <laughs> character. Oh God! Right, come on. It was quick fire, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Danny Kedamatri. Oh, Okay. <laughs> A biggest yeah. character. No, he's just mad. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your best mate in football? Be Andy Morell. He he said the same about Top you. Bloke. Top bloke. Oh, it's, it's, it's ugly, that is, isn't it? <laughs> Can I change it? Ben Burgess. <laughs> of course, I will make sure that Andy hears this as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just, just, just to make sure that I'm the one that turned him down, not the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> um, without getting anyone in trouble, we, we, we've touched on um, the drinking culture. What's the best Christmas party story you can tell us? But before you carry on, Klaus, Andy Morell told us that you and him dressed as the one one eight man. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we, uh, we, we got dressed up a couple of times. Um, uh, uh, yeah, one of the times with one one eight with with Blackpool. Another time was, um, uh, well, let, I can't really tell all of it. I can't, can I tell about just a little bit of it? You no, can tell, you can tell as much as you want, or as little as you want. Oh, God. Oh, uh, there was there was one time at Bournemouth where we got also dressed up, dressed up as uh, as as women, and um, <laughs> and the uh, and and I uh, I got I got back I got back to my uh, to my uh, to my house afterwards, and uh, and I had got these in. Well, I can't really say, can I? Yeah, well, you I, got, I got. No, let's just say that the inflatable boobs. I I I. I I had my, the white T-shirt was uh, was all um, yeah it was all it was all dirty by by a lot of in fact in fact a lot of women grabbing my my boobs all night <laughs> so I'll I'll just I'll just I'll leave the story there because otherwise it'll uh, it'll get too uh, but yeah it always used to be evolve, involve involve dressing up uh, Christmas parties and uh, and uh, and Leeds we went to Leeds once with uh, with 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 Blackpool and uh, <laughs> we had to 
the 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 theme was you had to dress up in a sh in a shirt, but you had to we drew names out of the hat, and you got to, had to go and buy a shirt for this person on your oh that's on brilliant your, uh, on your uh, on your lists on the so so we uh, had some dodgy looking shirts, and I remember the, the beard. We had to come out. We had to grow our beard and, and turn up with a dodgy beard as well. So any beard I can grow is dodgy. So that was. Uh, <laughs> well, I can't really. I can't really tell too much. No, that's brilliant. Um, who was your best roommate in football? I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say him. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I think it probably has to be Andy Morell because because I've had some some really annoying ones. I've had the. Uh, I mean. In, Jermaine Wright. I, I was rooming with him at uh, at uh, Blackpool, and he was he was in the habit of staying up late till one in the morning, uh, and uh, with his with his little light on, and um, yeah. But yeah, Andy Morell. Yeah, we just got into a routine where where you know it's uh, like an old married couple, I suppose. Nothing's <laughs> too much of a bother. Did, did, did he make a good cup of that? I tell you what, he 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 would have his cup of tea. He's like he would have his cup of tea. Then he would sit with his uh, crosswords, like a real <laughs> old man sitting in his corner with his cup of tea, his crosswords, and uh, yeah, and uh, yeah. I don't even know if he's got a, a smartphone. He might have a mobile phone now, but he's like proper <laughs> proper old school. So, uh, but it was really it was uh, nice, and he's not no drama. So, uh, and that's important for a roomie. Before Neil Neil comes on to to going back to quick questions about football, who was the best drinker you met in your time in England, or the biggest drinker? Who could really put it away? Oh God! Right. Well, um, you see, I didn't. I I I sort of stayed stayed on Saturdays. Do it on Saturdays. I think. Um, I don't know. It's hard. It's really hard to say. Uh, I must admit. Uh, yeah, I can't really be too. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Hard, hard questions. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think we might know the answer to this one already. Um, but what's the best individual game of football you've ever played? Um, the best individual one. I mean, I I think the uh, the, the first half at. Uh, uh, the last game at Highfield Road that was um, that was special because uh, I think we st I started out on the right hand side and obviously it's uh, it's all um, you know battling and uh, all guns blazing to start with but then I was I was moved into the middle to 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 stop Idiakis from Derby yeah. and and mm -hmm. make. And then I thought I, I can I can do that and I can make forward runs of him. He won't track me. And I remember we I got a penalty f from that position again in the centre of the pitch. Um, and uh, I got a Mo Conny made a made a penalty on me from that position. And that well that was um, that was a real satisfying game. But uh, yeah, I don't know if that's the same game as you think. Uh, to be fair, I weren't sure if it was that one over the first game of the Rico or the playoff final, so it could have been one of them. Um, you touch on Big Mo there. He thought he was still playing for Cov that day, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, I think Dealey, he was uh, running through him a few times as well. Yeah, he was, uh, <laughs> I think he's, it was not his best games, but what, what play he was as well. Yeah, nice man, absolute gentleman. Yeah, you mentioned another, another point now that, that I'm surprised you didn't mention. You scored for the Faroe Islands in a 2-2 draw away at Cyprus. Yeah, yeah, we uh, 
we played um, we played Cyprus away in the in the know, World Cup qualifier, I think it was maybe, and um, and uh, yeah, but actually, yeah, so we one 0 down, and uh, and uh, then we get free kick down out on the left, and it's an in swinging free kick, and I make a run in front of the first post, front post, and I just flick it on into the far corner. Um, and then I, I'm in, involved in the goal that sets us up. We, we're winning 2-1 at half-time. But just before half-time, I'm going up for a header and a Cyprus player backs into me and I land on my my shoulder and and my sort of rib uh, pop. It doesn't pop through my skin, but it sort of pops through the cartilage inside. Oh, and and oh, um, so I'm, I'm off and... Uh, and and we, we this is on a Saturday. Anyway, in this game we end up draw, drawing, like I say, two two on a sat on a Saturday. And on the Wednesday we are playing Ireland away, and um, and my uh, my missus my missus mum's family is from Ireland, and they are all and everyone's booked into uh, a hotel to watch us play in Ireland. And I I'm calling her on the on the phone. Uh, before the game's over, and she's reckoning, what, what's, what's, why is he calling? The game's not finished. And I was saying, well, I'm, I'm off injured and I won't be playing. I won't be playing on Wednesday. So uh, I was a bit of a, a, bit of a downer. But um, yeah. We, we mentioned some grounds there. We mentioned Horfield Road. We mentioned, obviously, Ireland, Dublin, the Aviva. It might have even been Lansdowne Road back then. Um, what is your favourite slash best ground you've played at? Um, well, that's Wembley. Um, yeah. The new Wembley. I remember the game. Back back then, when um, yeah, Wembley wasn't built, the you start to see pictures come out of these red seats and yeah. the, the black letters Wembley, and it just looked fantastic. And all of a sudden, you you're playing in there as one of the third of the, f- the first four games. You're you're in there playing, and um, so that would be Wembley. Yeah. To be fair, you, you've played in some good ones, so yeah, I, I, that's got to be up there. Um, What's the best goal that you've seen live? Now, this can be one that you've scored yourself or one that a teammate scored, and it can't be Andy Morrell's kick, 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 kick against West Ham. <laughs> it was a strong oh, no. <laughs> Andy Morrell, no. Um, no, mind you. No, I won't say that. Uh, I, I uh, Well, if I was going to say myself, it would be a goal at Watford. I, uh, I, I hit a, a, a ball that came out from a corner into the top corner, but... Um, oh. Um, I I seem to remember being we played. I don't know. I think either West Brom or Wigan, where where Nathan Ellington we played them at Highfield Road, and I think they were sort of near top of the league. And anyway, they they they, they got we played really well, but they they won the game. And one of the goals was was hit him. And sort of a volley just hit it awkwardly outside the box, and uh, and it just flew in the top corner. I was right behind it, and there was there was a few of us who said afterwards, "That's the best goal we've seen live." Um, but yeah, that was probably that's probably more along the way. He was some player when he was up front with Jason Roberts, weren't he? Them two for Wigan, they were unplayable. Yeah, they they were they were the ones, and I think they they might have did they get promoted then? They might have. Yeah, I think they did. Yeah, I think that's the season yeah. they went up. Yeah, yeah. So that that would be it. What's the favourite goal you've ever scored personally? Well, um, that would be the uh, a goal. I think we were it was Watford away, and uh, it was in um, I think it could have been February two thousand and five. Uh, we um, yeah, and I'm on the edge of the box, and Stephen Hughes he 
puts a ball in from from our right, and it's just how I hit it, hit it clear, and it takes a bounce, and I hit it first time into the to the top corner, and I could just sort of see it going right. As soon as you hit it, you just you almost don't feel it on your foot because you hit it mm. so cleanly, and um, yeah, it goes right into the top corner. That that would have been it. I remember, I remember that goal <laughs> quite clearly. <laughs> I, I remember going, going wild in the stand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the, the goal wasn't actually given to start with. The, the referee, uh, the, the linesman gave it as offside, but the referee, he, he realised that no one's interfered. So um, yeah, that would have been typical, wouldn't it? Oh, that, that's one of those ones that now VAR's been introduced, ruins it, because like you say, you can't have that initial moment of that celebration. Um <laughs> I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to memorabilia um, and, and shirts and stuff. Were you ever into swapping shirts? Um, mm, I'm not into it, really. I, I have swapped a few shirts, uh, but I was never one to sort of run after players. Uh, you know, when I played for the Fair Islands, I, I would swap shirts now and again, but only if uh, the person I played... Uh, uh, you know, I've played against directly against would, would swap really. But I remember we played France away, and um, and obviously players wanted to swap shirts. It was Sidan's comeback game for France. He'd retired and he wow. made he made his comeback. And um, but and players were sort of running around wanting to swap shirts. But and remember afterwards what they do at international games. Sometimes they. Uh, the, the 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 kit man take all your shirts after the game and then go and swap with the opposite kit man and they swap shirts that way. But I remember f- French players none <laughs> none of them wanted to swap shirts with the Fair Islands. So I thought, well, you can do one. And you know, <laughs> I, I think uh, so. I would rather uh, swap out of respect. Um, but yeah. Uh, so out of the ones you did swap, who 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 do you reckon is the best? Um, well, I've got um, Mark Viduka. I've got uh, Jermaine Defoe shirt. Wow. Um, so they um, uh, played against Tottenham when Jermaine played, played for Tottenham. I was for for Blackpool, and um, yeah, so they were they would be nice. they would be the ones. Uh, another thing that I think probably just in English culture, when when you join a club, you have to sing an initiation song. Um, what what did you used to sing, and who was the worst singer you heard for your career? You see, I was I was I was not the I never uh, had to sing an initiation song. How did uh, you get away with I, that? Did you pay the fine? No, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I remember being voted as the worst player in the in the, in the box, and I had to. Uh, <laughs> I was te- I was telling my Hans Christian Andersen story. That's as far as <laughs> God. But uh, no, uh, I never got to do that. But I do remember at Blackpool we. Uh, we had to, we had to just a, one of these yellow bibs that never been, um, never been washed. And it was stinking and it was horrible and it was smelly and and it's been everyone's written nice comments on. And every Friday you had to, uh, you, you know, the worst player got voted the bib and I'd managed to stay out of it, uh, not getting the vote. Then, then uh, I get the yellow jersey. That one day that the camera's there to uh, to film us, <laughs> I'm, I'm running around there. But uh, no, I never I never had to sing an initiation song. Um, but but yeah, loads loads had to. That's good. That's good. Right, we've got to the the nitty gritty now. The the, the part that is is my favourite part. If I'm going to be honest, um, the best eleven of players that you've played with. 
Øh, ja, altså... Ja, that's tough. <laughs> Obviously. Oh, 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 I'm sure you'll upset a few people. Um, are, are you old school? Do you go four four two? I'll go four four two. Yes. Um, my my thinking is uh, is uh, um, yeah. We tradition have one sitting midfielder, three attacking midfielders, and two strikers. That must be nice. Uh, that must. <laughs> so um, uh, okay. Should I just crack on? Yeah, 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 we'll start with the keeper. Okay, well, um, for what he was uh, worth to us, he was uh, he was great, Gary Walsh. Uh, I was thinking Mar- uh, Martin Fulop, but uh, 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 Gary Walsh uh, played with him for two seasons at, at Blackpool. Um, then, as an uh, unorthodox right back, would be Sean Barker. Uh, yeah. Do you know what? Without wanting to compare you to. Um, Mr. Morrell again, he did exactly the same thing. Who was, oh, sorry? Uh, Andy Morrell put yeah. uh, Barker at right back as well. Just to he get was, him he, he was really a he was really a centre back, but uh, but um, it just fitted in that we had two other good centre backs, and he would he would probably be better than them. But uh, he uh, he uh, he just saved so he was such a good defender, clearing so many of the back stick, uh, and mm-hmm. then hardly lost a header. So yeah, he would be my right back. Um, um Well, I would have, uh, I would have a. Uh, you, I don't know if you would know him. I remember him. I would have someone called Ian Cox. He was at Bournemouth when I was there. He was the captain. Got, got. Uh, he was a Trinidad and Tobago uh, yeah. international, but just for the influence also that he had on Bournemouth. Um, uh, went to Burnley, and uh, I think he's working at Gillingham now. But he would be. Um, he would be one of the centre half. The other one would be David Weatherall. Uh, Great player. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's a Bradford winner. Yeah, yeah. Is he still working for the football league? I think he might be. He is, yeah. I yeah. think he's, still, he's definitely still involved in the game. Yeah, but he could uh, he could probably attack uh, a ball in the air better than um, better than anyone I've seen. Uh, him and him and Sean Barker would probably be one of the some of the best I've seen. And then as a as a as a left back, I would have Stephen Craney uh, from from Blackpool. He played for Celtic and Leeds, yeah. and uh, was he? Yeah, and I don't know if he was at Southampton as well, but yeah, Blackpool. And um, uh, then uh, I would have as a holding midfielder. I'll go for uh, Richard Hughes, uh, who I played with at Bournemouth, and he. Um, he might be involved in their recruitment uh, still now, but left-footed player, Scottish, uh, very good player. Uh, yeah, he was he was he was a good player and uh, could give him the ball at, at any any place on the pitch. He wouldn't give it away. And then um, uh, I would have on on my uh, my my right. I would have it was a it was a toss-up between Gary Taylor Fletcher and. Uh, and uh, McSheffrey, but today McSheffrey's gonna get the nod on my right. Nice. And then then uh, Wes Houlihan be on the left, Ow. and then um, and then then I would be in the middle if if I'm in the team. Am I not in the team? Then I would uh, I would have Dennis Wise in there, uh, and uh, up front Andy Morrell and Jermaine Defoe. 
So uh, I think Jermaine Defoe. <laughs> Jermaine, Jermaine Defoe, he would uh, he would uh, probably provide uh, most of the goals. But uh, if any crosses would come in, you could guarantee you Andy Morrell would be across that near post and, uh, and get quite a few of them. Considering he was quite short, he was great in the air. We didn't realise until we spoke to him that he was a big basketball player as a kid. So it kind of makes sense. But he, he did have some leap on him. I know we give him a bit of stick this afternoon, but uh, he, he did do all right. Who, uh, who's got the armband? Uh, of these, it would be... Uh, it would be... It would be between Cox and, and Weather. So it would be David Weatherall. Nice. Yeah. Um, and out of the managers that you've played for, who gets the best out of that side? Uh, it will be a, an attacking-minded uh, manager. So it will probably be uh, Sean O'Driscoll. Well, I'm surprised you didn't give Andy Murray the job as a manager. He's just managed only in the lower leagues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, no chance because I, I had to leave when, when, uh, when he lost his job as well. So he owes me one. <laughs> I was his, I was assistant. Well, I was uh, one of his coaches when when he was manager at Tamworth. So, so yeah, when that went, I went as well. Klaus, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. And thank you for your time. Absolute pleasure. No I really, really appreciate it. No problem. I'm in, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. What's the crack podcast? Proudly sponsored by JMR Property Maintenance. From rewires to extension builds, JMR have it covered. Contact them today for a free, no obligations quote.